you just have to think what motivates them. And I'm going to tailor my message to that. If they're the founders of the company, they're probably focused on hiring. And so I just said, look, there's going to be 2,000 people there. They're all pretty ambitious. If you just get three or four leads, it's going to be worth your time. Plus, all these other 12 people are going to come. Will you come? And you get to meet all of them. All you got to do is say, yes, I'll help you put together the presentation. I'll hold your hand through the whole thing. I would end it with, what can I do to make you say yes? And it worked. What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, the Deep Sea Fisherman, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to an old friend who has become a very good friend, Sam Parr. He sold his company, The Hustle, which was started out as a conference based on a blog post I wrote, which is crazy, to HubSpot for millions of dollars. And as well, he is the host of the top 10 business podcast, My First Million. Now, I gotta be real with you. When I met Sam about 10 years ago, I disliked this guy. And I still pretty much dislike him today. No, I'm just kidding. And he's just been so interesting. He comes from Missouri. Uh, He's got a lot of really interesting quirks. And I think you're gonna really, really enjoy this episode. Again, if you are an entrepreneur as well and you like my show, I think you will love their show at My First Million Podcast. Check it out. If you've ever wanna learn about taking more risks, the power of asking better questions, and just having a smile on your face, you're gonna love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're gonna take away. Number one, how to get others to open up. It's tough. Number two, the 30-second rule. And how Sam met his wife, Sarah. Three, Sam's current favorite platform for connecting with people. There's so much more in this episode. It's definitely one of the favorites I've done so far in 2022. Enjoy it and more ear nuggets along the way. If you're a creator or you want to be a creator, go to AppSumo.com. List a product if you have some software that you've made or if buy some software if you're trying to start or grow your online business. That's AppSumo.com. Also, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to see some amazingly entertaining videos that our team works so hard to create for you, go to YouTube.com slash OKDork. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Jenny319. That is not Jennifer Lopez, but it could be. She left a review saying, love Noah. Really? We've never met. He asks great, bold questions and has interesting topics. Really enjoyable, all episodes. So fun and entertaining and learned so many good tidbits each episode. Hells yes. Thank you for the feedback, homie. I love you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want a shout out in a future episode, you know what to do. Leave a review anywhere you listen to this podcast. Check every single one of them. We've known each other maybe 10 years now, I think. Could be even more. Couldn't be more that. I think we're just going to learn who Sam Parr is today. 2012 or 11. Okay, so about 10 years. Yeah. Two questions we're just going to start. And we're going to get into investing and real estate and all these other kind of things. The question I heard someone ask yesterday I liked is, what do you worship? So people who are unique and different and have outlandish ideas and have the courage to like pursue them. It just so happens that business is like a practical application of that. But it could be like an artist. It could be like a poet or it could be like someone who's just like created a youtube channel or anyone who just ha- like says this is how i want this is what i want to do to spend my time and they're like bold enough to actually go and do that versus oh you know i'll get to it next year you know what i'm saying so i enjoy people like that that's why i like that uh, sam from levels is because he's unique he's got a very particular vision and he just he, he doesn't bow down and he just is getting after it i think there's also something we get to learn from those people well we get inspiration but we also get to learn like sam has optional meetings and a lot of video recordings instead of uh, real-time meetings. And I really like that. I went back to the team today and I was like, how do we do more of this in our company? It's cool. And he sends those to all of his investors. The videos? Yeah. So I can just log in and I can like see how they're doing. So in terms of who, who do you admire that most people don't know? Our best friend, Neville, is someone I, <laughs> for real. It's your best friend, right? Yeah. He's my closest friend. I admire Neville. He's not probably as well known as you and I. He's the most emotionally healthy person I've ever met in my life. Is that true? Yeah, I was actually journaling about it today. So I admire him. Laird Hamilton. Do you know Laird Hamilton? I know of him. I know he's a surfer. and Super interesting. I admire him a lot lately. And then, do you know John Rockefeller? 
I've read the book. So I found that book to be incredibly admirable because he was a good husband, a good dad, and a vicious businessman. And I think that's cool. And he didn't lie. He lied one time and it was a big lie. But besides that, he like was a pretty honest guy. What are the things that we can all learn from Neville, Laird, and John? Neville is super emotionally happy, so much so that sometimes I get uncomfortable around him. For example, the other day, he's done this with you probably. He's done this with me for sure. And I saw him do it with someone else. He sat down on the person and he goes, hey, I've been meaning to talk to you. About two weeks ago, you said this to this person and you sounded really stupid. And you've been doing that a lot lately. And when you do that, you aren't acting your best. And I, because I love you, I want you to improve. That's what he does. Has he done that with you? <laughs> he does it a lot. He told me one time we were at Wu Chow having dinner. And this is like maybe four years ago. And I, I, he was like, no, I got to tell you something. You've been really unimpressive. <laughs> he told me he told you that. He told me he yeah, told you it that. It was really helpful, though. He told me what he said to you was, I used to be proud of you and I'm not proud of you anymore. Yeah. But it worked. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess what I wonder for people that are listening to that, what we admire about Neville is that we're neurotic and uncertain a lot of times and like, I don't know. And then Neville's just like, it, it seems almost he's content with almost everything, which makes him happier about life. And he's really comfortable with confrontation. I said, Neville, why would you tell that guy that? Because he told me he was going to tell him. He goes, because I love him and I want him to be better. And I go, you're right. I understand. But it's just, it's a super uncomfortable conversation. But he did it. He always does that. So that's why I like him. And even though he wants to be, he's not married or dating anyone. And he hasn't dated anyone in forever because he is like so comfortable that he's like, well, you know, I just don't like this person. So she's got to bring a lot to the table and I don't need anyone. Yeah. And that's like crazy fascinating to me. The thing I've been struggling with lately is I was like, I want to move to LA because I think I'll be happier there. I want to find this other girl because I think that'll finally make me happy. I want to finally do some different work because that'll make me happy. And I think Neville's approach to all of it is like, it's all good. Like all of it is good. He's like, Austin is great. You go to LA, maybe it's a little bit better. But like, he's just content with a lot of things he has. One time I was bitching to him about some politics and he goes, why are you worried about that? That doesn't concern you. And I was like, you're right. Laird Hamilton. Do you know who he is? Yeah, he's like the surfer dude. He sold Laird superfoods for You know, it went money. public. It went public. Oh, really? For like $350 million. And then didn't he sell it for hundreds of million? Maybe. I don't know. But it, it's like a substantial. I like him because again, good family man. He's got a wife and kids that he's had for a long time. He has a very particular way of living that's kind of unique and not like that interesting to a lot of people, but he does it all the way. I mean, he's a big wave surfer and he's famous. How many big wave surfers, how many surfers are famous? Not that many. So he had like a very particular way of doing it. And I really appreciate that. And he's like super into health and fitness. I think that's cool. What were you doing before the hustle? I had an iPhone app that I helped start. What was it called? It was badly named called Bunks, Bunk, and then renamed to Roommates. It was like Tinder for roommates, and we should have done Tinder for Tinder. <laughs> this is in Missouri? No, this was in San Francisco. Before that, I lived in Tennessee, and I had a chain of hot dog stands that I ran. And then I started an online liquor store that made money. And then prior to that, I was a Division One 200-400 meter runner. Before that, I lived in Missouri when I was in high school. And your parents are still in Missouri? They're still in St. Louis, Missouri. You yeah. talk to them a lot? Yeah, once a week, twice a week. Yes, but I don't ever go back. I left when I was 17 or 18, and I just didn't go back. In the part before you started the hustle, what do you think people would be surprised to know about you? Neville said something, so I'm curious. Really? Yeah, I asked him. So Neville and you used to, because you and Neville are both like six to eight years older than me. So a little big brothery, a lot big brothery. And you guys used to criticize me all the time for asking questions. And Neville would all, he sat me down one time and he goes, dude, you ask too many questions. You're, you're embarrassing yourself. And so I used to ask a ton of questions before like, quote, becoming successful. I asked everyone crazy amounts of questions. So that's interesting. What did he say? 
Well, in terms of asking questions, by the way, I feel like a lot of people don't ask enough questions. Like there's so many people out there that people could benefit just if like, how did you do that? Tell me more of your story. And then you could replicate or learn from their lives. And I would ask like questions like, well, how much money did it make? Like, did that make you happy? Like really like intense questions. And Neville would get really mad at me. It's okay to ask. I think depending on the level of relationship, I think you would do it where it was like, you just meet the person and be like, well, how much are you worth? Yeah. Which is honestly not bad. I think if you just knew them a little more, it's they'd be comfortable sharing. Well, I think they should instead just say, oh, you know, I don't want to answer that. People should do that more often. Oh, I don't want to answer that. Anything that you learned when you asked one of these kind of questions or, or you felt ashamed? Ashamed? No. I, well, I would feel embarrassed sometimes if someone says like, dude, you're acting like a little kid. Quit asking so many questions. And I'm like, I'm just going to learn. So I started a conference business because I read your blog post on how to make $100,000 hosting a conference. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And I made the same spreadsheet. I used everything. Like I really used that spreadsheet and I made a lot of money doing it. But that was cool. But the coolest part was I used to tell the speakers to come like two hours ahead of time. And I would sit in a room three times the size of this. There was one time where it was like me, Tucker Max, the founder of WeWork, the founder of Casper, the founder of Away Travel, that suitcase business. Yeah. The woman who started uh, ClassPass and then this company ThreadUp and then The Athletic, Alex from The Athletic. And we were all just shooting the shit and talking about like personal stuff. And like this woman was complaining about like, I want to fire this person who works for me, but like I'm too nervous. I'm like, it's just too much confrontation. I don't want to do it. And this other guy was saying like, oh, I'm so stressed about fundraising. Like, And they would say all this stuff that I'm like, oh, you're A, just as insecure as I am and B, even though you're worth like a billion dollars, you're not like a billion times smarter than I am or even close. Like maybe you're a little bit smarter. Maybe I'm a little bit smarter, but we're pretty in the same, at least in the same ballpark. And that was really interesting. So I would ask a ton of questions to those people. And it was awesome. Oh, and Casey Neistat was in the room one time and it was badass to hear him. And Tucker Max, by the way, in the room with the WeWork guy basically said that the business model is bullshit. How'd that go now? The guy like laughed and like Tucker like laughed a little bit too, but Tucker was right. When people say that though, it's also still an $8 billion company that has benefited across the world. Yeah. And I think it's going to be even better now. Like this, I, I think a lot of people are going to be using WeWork. Yeah. I think WeWork's awesome, but it was just funny. It was, it was funny. We'll stay on that for a second. Cause I think one of your superpowers is asking, you know, you have a conference. What you did is you asked a lot of people to come speak, I think for free a lot of the time and you sold tickets and were able to kind of get your, your name and business going. What are some ways that people can ask better? Typically, what I found is if you find it interesting, there's more likely than not a significant group, like a number of people who also find that interesting and would benefit from you asking and would think that you're brave or cool or whatever for asking. For example, I interviewed this guy today, the founder of Grammarly. You know Grammarly? Yeah. They like, crush it. We promoted them. Yeah. Absolutely. They're great. I love them. And we just started talking about racing cars. He's a, he like races cars. At first, I was like, should I even talk about this? I'm like, no, no, no. People will find this interesting because I'm so passionate about it. So I think that's important about questions. The second thing is you can actually get people to reveal anything you want, a lot of what you want, if you reveal the same thing about yourself first. So like if you say like, man, we only did $7 million in revenue this year and it was only 10% margin. So I like freaks out. Like, what would you do if you were me? And they'll say like, oh, I'll do this. And you'd be like, well, do you feel that same way? Are your margins the same? Or like, do you make that much? Re- what do you do? And they'll typically reciprocate. So that is like a really useful thing to do. Yeah, I asked a friend, Joe Kelly, again. I was like, I want people to be more vulnerable when I talk with them. And he's like, well, are you vulnerable? And I was like, no, but they should give it to me. And he's like, you got to give it to him first. Yeah, so uh, if you give it to someone first and if you compliment them a lot uh, and yes. that works. And third, 
if you disrespect them, like if I said, like, what did Sumo do this year? Like 15 million in revenue? You'd be like, Pfft. and I'd be like, what, 20? And like, I know that it's like way above. Such a funny ego test. But like, I can like kind of like nag you a little bit. And I think that you'll you'll reveal a little bit. You know what I mean? Well, I think taking a step back there, what you're saying, which I really I love is that one, more people should just ask just in general. Like we talk about the coffee challenge. I'm sure you've heard about that. Yeah. You know, I took your course, Earn 1K. Earn 1K is Ramit, monthly 1K, same thing. Sorry. Same thing. But your, what was your, the URL? Monthly. Monthly1K.com. It was awesome. And one of the things was to ask for a discount on coffee. Yeah. I did that when I was younger, when I was 21 years old. How'd it go? It's awesome. It worked. What did you learn from that experience? So I do that a lot of times when I just go to a retail store. I'll be like, hey, it says that it's this price, but do any sales still apply or is there anything you could do? And it works all the time. It is interesting that it still works so well. I think sometimes lately I want to support the store, so I don't want a discount. I'll only do it if it's a big company. Yeah. If it's like a small, no, I'll overpay. By the way, that always just fascinates me how we're okay, like screwing over Walmart, but not like AppSumo. Well, even AppSumo, people are like, it's a big company. I'm like, it's a hundred humans that live around the world. Like we're small, just we're individuals just like you. But yeah. I think the point of asking is still really powerful. And like, you can always do it. If the coffee challenge is definitely one of the more uncomfortable ones. I did this. You see this YouTube video I did knocking on doors. It was awesome. I just yeah. did it again on Monday and it's the third time I've done it. And I realized that a lot of wealthy or interesting people are happy to open the door. It was just so interesting because I just went up to people. I did it differently this time. Walked, knocking doors of my favorite houses, just my favorite houses. And I was like, I love your house. So I complimented him right away. And then I say, I'm a YouTuber and I run a business in town and I live around here. We are making a video. I'd love if you have any advice for young people. Is it going to crush? So it worked. that Because the first time I just went up to people and like, hey, what do you do for a living? This time it was, love your house. Do you have any advice for young people? By the way, what do you do for a living? And it worked. I think we had like, it was like nine out of 10. And these are strangers. These are people I don't, I don't know. But the point that I, I really love what you're talking. And then, you know, vulnerability is another thing. The ego stuff is interesting. But I, I just think more people should ask. So like just in general. By the way, I have to give you credit because I'm taking, I told you I'm taking Casey Neistat's um, oh, yeah, you said that. course the monthly. Mo monthly doc is it monthly.com? Yeah. And I'm like 10 days in and I'm like doing all the lessons and everything. And we had to film like a spontaneous vlog or something like that. And he like shows you how he does it. And I was filming mine and you got to like talk to your phone like in public. Yeah. Dude, that is so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. I could do a lot of interesting stuff. I could talk in front of 3000 people. But just to be sitting like in a public area, like, hey, what's up, world? And like looking at the camera, I found it to be so embarrassing. It's so hard to do. I don't know how you do that. It's a, it's a fear. It's f I'm fearful of that. Where did you do that? I was in a park in Mexico City. And <laughs> I was just in Mexico City like five days ago. And we were in a park and there was like so many dogs. And they were so well behaved. And I was like asking people, I'm like, how on earth are your dogs all well behaved? And I noticed that like when the dogs were fighting, like the people would never yell. And so their energy was really calm. And so I was just asking people about that because we had to make a spontaneous video. He was like, doesn't really matter what you make it about. We're going to get the reps in. It was so embarrassing to do. How did you feel afterwards? I didn't like it. It was like worse than going into a cold tub. Like I, it was painful. In the video, I was like, I don't know how these people do it. How they like talk in front of cameras all the time. It's really frightening. It was interesting to think about the knocking on doors because I've done it three times. One here, one in LA and, and one back here again. The time in LA, I swear to God, like I had three days of anxiety before the recording. Why? I was also like, I was like drinking pretty heavily and I was just like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to knock on doors. Like, I don't know why we're doing this. I hate these fucking videos. And then I did it and I was like, oh, it's not so bad. And, and as I did it this last week for the third time, I was really just trying to change my mindset because I was just like, okay, you don't have to do it, but 
how can it be fun? How can I actually make it enjoyable? And I'm like, why don't I just go to my favorite houses? I'll just compliment him. And look, it's going to be interesting either way. And I just try to just change my perspective on it. And it definitely helped. Like, got rejected a few people. Like, I went up to one guy, the guy who runs Siete. I knocked on his door. Really? He was actually doing a workout in his gym. It was him. And, and I, I've seen him before. And was I, he ripped? I, pretty fit. I don't think he was shirtless. But he had like, it was him and then these girls doing the workout in the gym. And I just like kind of interrupted them. And he was not happy. I felt pretty guilty about that. But then I also was just like, look, it's so cool. It's like the guy from Siete. And like, if I got to meet him and say, oh, wow, this is his house. And it's a really nice house. But it was funny. Then he like closed the garage door immediately after I went. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> but anyways, I think it's just the mindset of, you know, I do think it's the reps. Like the coffee challenge, like just asking for discounts. Like I even did it at my local bakery, like at Thoroughbred where I live. I was just like, do you guys have any local discounts? <laughs> right? They're like, and they're like, awesome. they're like, no. And I was like, okay. So when I was single and I wanted to like meet a girl, I had a three second rule. If I saw someone like a girl walk by, if I was like, oh, I, I'm interested. I had to say something within three seconds. And that totally worked and totally helped me. Where it's just like, oh, I just got to do it. I mean, you met your wife at a bar. Right? I met my wife at a bar at a happy hour. Yeah. And it worked. And I saw her and I go, I'm just going to walk up and say something to her. And I did. And so it worked out. There was a thing by Trump. Have you read Art of the Deal? No. Highly I, recommend. I've read parts of it. Highly recommend. It's an awesome book. That wanting book, ugh. the Trump book, awesome. He didn't even write it. Someone else wrote the, it. Yeah. The author who wrote talk it shit on talked him. shit about yeah. it. The author who wrote it wrote um, Powerful Engagement. Anyways, the point being of Trump, though, what he said in the book, actually, which is phenomenal, is that in some of these situations, like think about your upside and then the downside. So, like, not talking to someone, the downside is nothing. The upside of talking to a guy or girl that could potentially be your partner or friend or whatever it is is like insanely high. Yeah, totally. But our fear, including myself, is just like, we outweigh the downside to the upside of these situations. Well, that's how I became friends with you and Neville and a lot of my closest friends now. So of the five groomsmen at my wedding, four were cold emails. I saw a video of you and Neville on AppSumo doing copywriting. You're on some balcony and he had those stupid thick glasses on. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it was like a 60 minute video. It was a long video. And I watched the whole thing and I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And so I bought his course on AppSumo for $99. And... I emailed him and I go, I just took your course. It's so good. I'll fly you up to come speak at this event I'm going to host. And it wasn't really an event. It was just like I was going to have, I had like 18 friends come to like my house and he just talked and I go, I'll take care of everything. And I just bought him a ticket on Southwest and I let him sleep in my bed and I slept on the couch. And that's how we became friends. And I've done that so many times all through cold emailing. Now the secret is Twitter, DMing on Twitter. And what do you like to say to people? exactly what i want so now i'll say like today i said hey dude this company's sick are you raising can i invest that's it who'd you send that to this company called wonder it's like um have you heard of um uh getaway yeah it's like cottages all around it's something like that but a different niche i think they're cool and what's their niche they're nicer they're not like small cabins they're just nicer houses and so i thought it was a cool company and i just emailed them and said that or dm'd them on twitter and said that can you give us some other examples of cold DMs or cold emails or wait? Because I think you've, you got like a lot of famous people to come speak at your conference when you didn't, ha you know, a lot of people were like, well, you had an audience. You didn't have No, it. I didn't have it then. You had no following. So we had Casey Neistat come before we were popular. We had um, the founders of WeWork, Casper, Away, most startups that- Chubbies. Were, Chubbies that were awesome. Yeah, Chubbies is dope. Uh, so I, how did you get these people? Dude, do you remember uh, the men's warehouse guy? Yeah, Gary Zimmerman. You're going to like the way you look. That guy, I had Chubbies interview him and I thought that was cool. So that was cool, all through cold emailing. So you just have to think what motivates them, and I'm going to tailor my message to that. So for these folks, if they're the founders of the company, they're probably focused on hiring. And so I just said, look, there's going to be 2,000 people there. They're all pretty ambitious. 
if you just get three or four leads, it's going to be worth your time. Plus, all these other 12 people are going to come. Will you come? And you get to meet all of them. All you got to do is say, yes, I'll help you put together the presentation. I'll hold your hand through the whole thing. I would end it with, what can I do to make you say yes? And it worked. So like the founder of Pandora was cool. Tim Wessergen. Who else? I mean, all types of people. Bonobos. That guy was cool. Andy Dunn. All those types of folks. And it was just that typical email. That is it's really inspiring. You know, I think for and also educational for a lot of people listening, like it's all attainable. Yeah. Well, you and I are we're very, very similar. You just kinda like we're just in the mix and just like talking to people and it worked out and we blogged a lot. So you just gotta I just DM people like crazy. I think people discount you know, it's funny, whenever I meet people that are wealthy, I always reflect on how when they buy a course still, they're like, Oh yeah, I'm taking this course. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's why you're wealthy because you're still learning your students. Do you take courses? Not as much, actually. I mean, I read a lot of books and like, I meet a lot of people. You went to Hebrew class. This morning, yeah. Yeah. So, and you and have like you, boxing class tomorrow. Yeah, boxing class and you've got, yeah. So you do the same thing. I actually started hiring coaches because you told me that that's what you do. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. I, why don't I have a coach? But I think cohort classes, I, I miss a little bit. I took a uh, Hebrew conversion class. What's that? Or Jewish conversion class. So my ex was converting to Jewish. Oh, yeah. And so I actually was like, besides the, the Jewish part, it was just cool to go to a class and learn something. At your boxing class, are you like getting hit sparring? No, not as much these days. We've sparred in the past. It's just he comes to the house. It's more aerobic. Boxing and like fighting. So I'm I'm training for like a fight. I heard. And it's you versus a female, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She only, she's only 90 pounds. <laughs> um, dude, some of these, I mean, some of these female boxers can kick our ass. Dude, I got knocked out a little bit the other day. Isn't that crazy? What happened? Did I, you ask for it? No, we were just fighting and I just got caught. And uh, By Ruma? No, but he kicks my ass. But uh, no, a young guy, they paired me up with a 20-year-old and he just, I leaned in on a little bit and he just got me on the chin. And um, that changed my life a little bit. It's fighting. Go on. It's, it's awesome because you're like, oh, I just got beat up. Like, I'm not worried about this, like, silly work thing. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Everything else is less loud. You know what I mean? So boxing has been awesome. Boxing and cold tub, the cold plunge has been awesome. Those two things have been awesome. I had a few other things that I was curious about. All right. So asking, I love that. I was also going to say, I still DM people too. Like yesterday, I DM this guy on Twitter. Because I wanted to invest in a company I saw called Third Web, which I thought was pretty interesting. It basically is like a Squarespace for NFTs or coins. So if you want to launch your own thing instantly, you could have like your own mints, your own like staking and all that Did stuff. Did they reply? This guy replied with an intro, yeah. Was the valuation crazy? I don't know. I haven't got the number yet. I messaged the guy, a guy who knew him. It was like a guy who knew. I was like, hey, do you know this guy? Can you put me in touch? And then the other one is there was a kid who was tweeting really well. This guy named Growth Student, uh, Ryan Kaufman. I think he's in college. And I just DM'd him. And I was like, yo, man, I really love your stuff. Do you want to work together and help me on my Twitter? And he's like, sure. So like, I'm talking to him today. Are you trying to get popular on Twitter now? I mean, popular is all relative and it never ends. But I think, I think we have a lot of content we're creating that's not being well-crafted for that platform. And so I want someone to help. Yeah, dude, you've missed the boat on... You're not missed it because it's not gone. But for the last two years, Twitter has been popping off. It really started going right when COVID <laughs> hit. But like... six Missed the boat. <laughs> dude, like that's where all the growth has come from in the last two years. And... It's been awesome. Like there's like people that are like Twitter famous now. And like, it sounds vain, but it produces real, real revenue and real business. It's just a bullshit game. So I quit playing the game. I got to 60, 70,000 followers. And I just like, fuck it. I'm, I'm not playing this game anymore. So now I mean, I am at like maybe 120. But to get to 70, like I played the game. And I was like, Oh, my God, this is soulless. I'm not doing it anymore. I mean, I think the real reality is for anything in life that we want takes work. Like if you want Twitter famous, if you want like, bakery famous if you want anything famous boxing famous it's like are you willing to put in what it takes yeah once i figured out how to make it work i, I wasn't i wasn't gonna do it but you should be on twitter right now 
Dude, it's sick. Do you think everyone out there should be active on Twitter or be growing a Twitter audience? And for what purpose? I don't think you need to be active, but I think that like crazy smart people are there and it's the best place. It doesn't matter if it's business, sports, art, doesn't matter. You'll see like someone post something and then a really smart person will tell their opinion of what they posted. Like you just see a conversation between smart people. So I think it's awesome. I think it's really, really great to like see what's going on. I also think that like Twitter is a awesome place to catch trends and signals before they're popular. What have you noticed or what have you caught? Companies like you, you find companies or you found that guy who was tweeting. Yeah. So like I do stuff like that. Today, the M&Ms did a thing where they like rebranded their M&Ms to be more PC. And so like the brown M&M, her heels were lowered because apparently she had high heels. The orange M&M is admitting to having anxiety. It's just like this bullshit. I used to think that like young, the Gen Z people were super woke, but they're like commenting on this like this is ridiculous. So like it teaches me about like what the sentiment is. How much time you spend on Twitter a day? One to two hours. Yeah, it's addicting. No, I, I spend a lot on it too. I find it really interesting. Who do you follow? Who's the best follow? It sounds like what, back in high school, be like, dude, you remember who's the hottest girl in school? One through 10. I go back and forth with all the crypto stuff. Like I get really excited to learn about it. And then I just get be like, oh, this is annoying. My buddy JPEG Lord. JPEG. JPEG. Lord. Like, you know what a JPEG? Like, on, a, like an image. Yeah. JPEG Lord. So like an NFT thing. Yeah. So he just tweets about like kind of like on the edge of NFTs, like things he's observing, which I really this, like. Was, what's he do? Just sell a lot of them? He just is like a degenerate. He's like a like a literal gambling degenerate. Is he? And that like he just finds like edgy things that no one. But he's anonymous about. online. In that account, yeah, he doesn't want to be associated because I, like there's a bunch of these anonymous folks. Do you know like a bunch of these anonymous people? It's actually fascinating. Yeah, I got to meet this guy named Soul Legend in one of my NFT videos. Wouldn't show his face. Wouldn't. I mean, I, I'm glad they came and talked to me. Are they wealthy? Is that why they don't want to be known? So I asked him that. I don't think it made it to the video, but I was like, who cares? And he's like, well, I was in banking. And now I've gotten, he got in early in Solana and now it's like, you know, $130 a token. And I think he made a lot of money in NFTs. But I think what was actually more fascinating about it, because I asked him, I was like, dude, what, what's your, what do you have to hide? You, you know, there was a phrase called doxed. You've heard this phrase? D-O-X-X? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where people like call. They find out who you are. You and, and they. Well, that's one too. But I think also doxing, I could be wrong. I oh, no, you're right. Doxing is when like you call out a person publicly and everyone like calls them and fucks with them. Yeah, where I think they were anonymous and now they're not anonymous. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I asked him and he's like, well, I think it's actually fascinating. He's like, why do you share so much of who you are publicly? He said that to you? Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting. He said, you know, the Web2 experience, you know, I worked at Facebook, so I, I understand it pretty well, which was like, we share a name. We share our birthdays, we share our photos, we share our locations, we share everything. And his is like, that's fine, but why? And what about a world where you could feel more comfortable? One, I think you can share more publicly. You could say things more publicly that we can. Like you were saying some things where the show started that I don't think you would say on air. <laughs> like what? Do you remember what you said? Yeah, I forget. <laughs> no, same, same. And then, I, so I think there's something where you feel you actually have free speech. And then I also think he's, he has some right where it's like, there's a beauty that I, no one has to know who I am. I think like your company, in 50 years, there's going to be a world where you're able to start it and actually not know the real name of your coworkers. I totally think that might be a possibility. I was telling Sam yesterday, I want to have a remote girlfriend <laughs> where, I, where I never meet her in person. Dude, a lot of people do. Um, <laughs> really? Matt, Nomadic Matt, told me about his buddy who's been dating someone for like years, like five or six years, and they're hanging out for like the third time this week. Yeah, I don't even want to hang out. <laughs> so do you know, um, you know biology? Yeah. So I did a podcast with him and we had to do it at like, we had to do it late at night because he's on a different time zone. And I know where he was when I talked to him because he told me, but he basically said, don't talk about where I am. 
the room that he was in, you couldn't tell if it was night or day. He just used a background or no? No. It was like a closet like this with no windows. And so you'd have no idea. And he had the curtains pulled. Do you know like if he has a family or not? I don't know. I don't follow him that closely. Okay. So like he won't talk about that. Like, he, And I was like, why are you this secretive? And he actually wouldn't, didn't even answer me. But are there any secretive accounts that you know? Are they just like these like guys who are just in there, just like dudes who are like have hundreds of millions of dollars and they're just like chilling on their couch? I don't know. I don't know. I like those. Because I see like, those accounts. And they all have like crypto punks or whatever as as pictures. I think it's just an interesting environment that I like that people are, you know, you said just as much as we like Sam, the weirdo from Levels, like, I don't know if you like a weirdo, but like, he's different. And I, I appreciate it that they're at least coming at a new angle and a new way of living. That's not like, hey, I have to share everything and I could try to do it in these new ways. I'm totally on board with that. Have you read American Kingpin? I love American Kingpin. Such a good book. The best book I've probably ever read. Best book you've ever read. Dude, it was riveting. It was riveting. That story is riveting. So in that book, he basically, Ross is running a, basically a billion dollar company with like 18 anonymous employees. And they ended up fucking him, right? Like they like stole from him and stuff like that. But I think there's a world where you can do that and it work out well. Yes. Let's come back to other things. What were we talking about? Oh, Twitter people. Wait, let me follow. ask you something really quick yeah. about Ross. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that sentence was good? No. I think the sentence related to all the Silk Road stuff, shouldn't he should be acquitted. But I think when he's trying to get people killed, I think you need to go to jail for that. You think he tried to get people killed? I don't know the evidence, but from what the book and what I saw, what I've read, it sounded like he tried to get people killed. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know the, the actual details. But do I think if people are trying to kill people, they should probably be in trouble? Yes. Do I think him trying to create a free market where if adults can transact with other adults, I don't think we should try to regulate that as much. But what if someone was selling drugs outside of AppSumo? Outside the door? Yeah. What kind? Heroin or meth. Meth. I think a lot of this stuff, it's very, it feels very arbitrary what's legal and what's not legal. Well, like, it's not so, arbitrary if you agree to it and vote on it. Like, I just think it's strange that like, I don't know, Xanax and uh, ketamine, all these things are legal. Alcohol, which is fucking crazy, is super legal. And then Coke, illegal. It's like, it used to be legal. And then few people said no. And now it's just decided for the rest of the nation. And then, you know, the amount of resources we put around it, is it really helpful or not? I, I think it could just be rethought of. I don't have the exact final answer. I just... I feel like we have way too many restrictions that seem arbitrary. He has a blog and he blogs from prison. Have you read it? No. It's fascinating, man. It is so fat. It's on Medium. And he has a Twitter and he posts all his blog posts on Twitter. And it's sad. The reason it's sad is because we identify with him. We don't identify with like a young person that's like Hispanic or black selling crack on the corner because that like is totally not our world. But we identify with this white computer nerd who like kind of looks like us. And like is writing about his blog saying like, I'm doing this to like, end the war on drugs and all this stuff. And you're like, Oh, okay, like, oh, that's now good. And he's in prison now for life. And he goes, like, he, on his blog, you see it, you have it up. Yeah, he writes like, today's my 1000th day in prison. And I probably have like 50,000 more in this, like eight foot cell. And you're like, Oh, my God, it makes you like, cry a little bit. You're like, this is horrible because you relate with them. But I have to stop myself and realize like, well, if I think it's wrong for a guy to do it on the street, I can't think that it's right that he does it just because he was doing it on the computer. I'm trying to look at favorite people to follow on Twitter. Definitely like JPEG Lord. I really like internal tech emails. What's that? It's at tech emails. They basically have like from court documents like Apple and Zuckerberg, oh, all their sick. emails. Internal tech emails. Yeah. So they'll actually post the emails from court cases. You know who's a shit talker, but pretty funny is Chad Hurley, the founder of YouTube. He is crazy. He's, he's just, he, like, he just he talks shits sh on YouTube. He shits on all the stuff that I think we're like, we all think. Yeah, because he like truly is, is in a position of fuck you. 
He's yeah, fuck you money now is like a hundred mil. It used to be like ten mil. How much does he have? Like billions, right? I think he's probably at a hundred million. Because like they sold for one point five. They probably made thirty million because the VC they probably I think got th- he only made thirty million dollars. Three hundred. Three hundred. But then you split it with three people. There's Jared yeah, that was ten years ago. Yeah, and maybe they invested it well, so maybe it went from three hundred to maybe six hundred. It's still a lot of fucking money. He has he has a lot of fuck yous in there. Isn't that crazy? He only sold for a billion dollars and it's worth like two hundred billion now? No, not especially. I think what's fascinating is that Google took that chance. They crushed it. They knocked that out. The that was like, yeah, in terms of investments, I think it was a billion and a half or a billion. I don't remember. And then now I think YouTube did like $20 billion or some crazy amount of revenue. I like Casey Neistat on Twitter. Oh, really? I love following him. He's cool. I like um, I like Sean, my co-host. Oh, I follow Sean. He does good shit. I like Ariel Hawani. You know Ariel Hawani? Oh, yeah, the MMA guy. I don't follow him on Twitter, though. I interviewed him for our I podcast. Saw that. It was awesome. He was cool. I like I do him and a lot of uh, MMA. I like following Nate. Diaz and um, Conor McGregor. They're fun. They're UFC guys. I try to unfollow most people. So it's just like just the ones are like, I don't know. Did you see Jack Dorsey and Andreessen Horowitz fighting? Oh, that was great. I thoroughly enjoyed that. So I followed all those guys just for that. No, who's good? I like Keith Raboy and David Sachs. Just because they shit talk. Dude, like, Keith they... Raboy is such a dick, though. I love Keith Raboy. So I'm, rude. I'm like total team Keith Raboy. Why is he so rude, though? Because he works out at Barry's boot camp all day. I don't know. I, I don't find it rude. I just find him honest and direct. No, he's rude. Like, he says, like, I know more about startups in my small finger than you'll ever learn. Or no, what did he say? He goes, I'll forget more in the last five minutes about startups than you'll ever know in your whole life. The reason why that's an asshole thing to say is because it's kind of true and he's the man. And so when you're like a baller like that and you say stuff to people who are below you, it's not fun. I'm just looking up his tweets. I don't think he's that rude. Dude, he's rude as shit, man. He's totally rude. I like that he's also like hardcore Miami. He's pushing the shit. Anyways, let's talk about some other things. I don't think he'd be rude in person, though, which is no, why I, is, I think him. that's bullshit. I've met him a few times. I still text him. I'm like, he's been nice. He's not super nice to me, but he's like cordial. How do you know him? I got to know a lot of the people in the Valley because of conferences. Him specifically, when I built my Facebook games, I was the number one Facebook game developer. So like Slide was trying to like buy us and work with us. And then when we built Gambit, I was trying to get them to use our, ga- our payments engine. And so I just kind of met Max. I saw Max again through that. I met Max before. And then like I got me to meet Keith through that as well. What was Max like? I met Max in college and I fucked up there. He came to speak at Berkeley and I was like so excited. And then I went to the, him, see him speak and I was like, I'll do anything to work with you. He's like, all right, go do this and come back to me. What were you going to work on him with? It wasn't work with him. He just wanted me to do some research or like come back to, with something. Dude, he's the man. He's the man. And then so I didn't follow up and he like never forgot. It definitely, though, it left an imprint on me, like, fucking follow up. He seems like one of the, of that PayPal crew, he might be, he seems kind of like the smartest a little bit. He seems super bright. I think it's impressive if you think about it from, like, the NBA dream team perspective that, like, this team had people that now founded Yelp, founded Affirm, founded Genie, founded Yammer. Founded open Door. Open Door. Open Store, their new company. Open Store. I mean, just anyways, it's the fact that I had so many fucking badasses. LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yeah. Yeah, just like the amount of people that came out of it and they all work together. It's also how do you foster that at your own companies? Keith's a billionaire, right? Yeah, I think so. What's he like? You know, honestly, I tried to interview him four years ago when I was visiting SF and he wasn't available. I've texted him recently, but I haven't gotten to know him. I don't really know Keith well. I'd like to. Let's talk about other things. All Let's right. talk about Sam. It's about Sam Parr. What's your middle name? Joseph. What's your birthday? Six fifteen eighty nine. What is something you would not share publicly besides your social? Because um, you like asking them about their money. Would you share how much money you have? Somewhat. I said I had a goal to earn twenty million dollars by the age of thirty, and I hit it at thirty two. That's what I say. That's all you say. That's all I say. How much is your salary? Uh, not much. So just the base salary between two fifty and three hundred. But then I get other stuff. That's a lot. Well, the reason I say this, I was talking to my friend who works in medical, not as a doctor, just in in, in a hospital. 
I think they make 90. And they were texting me how they were sad that they couldn't afford a, like, it was a $420,000 house. It got bid up to 500, I think, give or take, but they were like, I can't afford it. In Austin? Yeah. People at big tech companies get paid so much money. Like, I know many, many people that are just employees and they're worth like 10, 20 million dollars by the age of 40. I think that's a huge thing that people don't realize. It's crazy. Sarah, my wife, was an employee at Airbnb starting six years ago or five years ago. There was like a thousand-ish people. So not like particularly early. She became a liquid millionaire before me at the age of 28. Damn, go Sarah. Yeah, multi-millionaire. What I think what's fascinating about that is I think there's a I think there's a lot of ways to get rich. Like knocking this knocking on door stuff has been fascinating because it's like, wow, all these people got rich. Like one was a doctor, one was a veterinarian, one guy was marketing at a semiconductor company. Just like all these variety of ways that people have gotten wealthy. My father-in-law got wealthy. He owns a moving company. Her parents, they own an apartment overlooking Central Park and a house in the Hamptons. It's just a commercial moving company. How has your relationship with money evolved over the years? It's still very unhealthy. I'm super frugal and super tight, and I need to chill and be less conservative. What are some examples of that? I have a fancy coat here. It costs $700. Our friend is in the military. He like said, like, hey, if you ever need anything, I'll order it for you. He kind of said it in passing, but I took him up on it. And I go, yeah, order me this coat. I'll Venmo you half the money. And I did. And I waited like two weeks to get it because I wanted to save money on this coat. So that's an example. The other day, I bought something from Target for $7 and I didn't like it. And so I drove back and returned it. Really? Yes. Well, and let me preface this. So people that are listening out there, whether you're worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars or you're broke or you're in debt, like however you want to treat your money is up to you. I just think as, as you do make more money, you have the ability to pay for those things to not be as much. Issue. It makes me uncomfortable. So like we are going to install turf in our courtyard. Oh, nice. And I did because Neville has it and you had it. And I was like, oh, this is actually nice. I think I would enjoy this more. And it was like going to be six grand. And I've been like sweating over this for like weeks. And I'm like, Sarah, should we do this? I don't know what to do. And like the reality is, is actually will increase the value of the house because our current courtyard is a little messy and it will make me happy. But I'm like been sweating over it. I'm like, oh my God, that's so expensive. I'm going to make an observation. How much was your last investment? 25,000. To what company? Lunchbox.io. And then how much time did you spend thinking about that investment? 10 minutes. You probably spent more than 10 minutes driving to Target to return yourself. Totally. 100%. And so I think what's fascinating is spending on business, we have no problem. Spending on ourselves it's really hard. Just because there's no ROI other than like happiness. And I'm like, well, I know if I spend this, I'm going to make more money. Yeah. I want to buy a place about an hour from here. And I want to buy a place an hour outside of New York City. I'm looking for 20 to 50 acres with a big house. And I was going to put smaller cabins on it in a barn with a gym. I'm going to create a brand of like fitness related oh, Airbnbs. Cool. I think I can crush it. I think I met a guy who had a tech company and uh, he invested some of his money into Airbnbs and he's making half a million a month in profit. Oh, and how many Airbnbs? 15. It seems really high. Well, they're really fancy. I mean, the one place I'm looking at is 2.6 million. So they're like, you char- you want to make $300,000 a year so all- in gross revenue off this one. So it's like, it can be substantial. So I'm interested in that. And I think it's sick because I get bored just doing stuff on the computer all day. So like being able to see your stuff and then you can enjoy it if you want to. And like, it's kind of fun for people to enjoy it. So I'm making this fitness thing. That's sick, right? That's kind of a cool idea. And so I'm going to put a cold plunge there. I'll put a sauna there and then a gym, a nice gym. They're really cheap to make. You can make like That's a, actually a really good idea. You can make a fancy gym for like $4,000. And so I'll do that and I'll just have a sick picture. And I'm looking, I'm looking in Dripping Springs, but it's really expensive. And I'm looking in Bastrop. Yeah, Bastrop's pretty good. Or Leander, I guess. Or I'm looking there too. Lockhart. I'm basically anything within uh, an hour and like 10 minute radius. Check out, have you checked Smithville? A lot of people. Yeah. Smithville's I'm looking high. at Smithville and Johnson City. Have you heard of Johnson City? Yeah, Johnson City's a little further out. So I'm looking at all of them. 
it's pretty hot right now, but uh, I think those are going to crush. And then I'll do the same in New York. And I think that'd be really fun. I think it'd be a sick business. How were you with money as a kid? I was always afraid of running out. A very scarcity mindset for sure. You know when people say scarcity? It's, it's no. It's like literally you were just worried about going broke. It's like, I don't know if people say scarcity. It's just like. <laughs> Dude, when I was, when I moved out to San Francisco, I only had a thousand dollars and no job. And I used to steal from Whole Foods and I used to sneak onto the bus and stuff like that. I mean, I was like poor, proper poor. When I wasn't feeling well, I went to like a homeless clinic for a doctor and that lady is still my doctor. And like once I started earning income, I had to like pay her. Like I was broke. And so I just got that gave me like hardcore anxiety. How were your parents with money? My parents started a fruit stand when they were younger. And that like is how they had us. And then they sold it and worked as a teacher. My mom and my dad worked at a, a place. But then he quit his job when I was in sixth grade to start a business. And it was pretty courageous. Can you imagine starting a business when you have about three kids between the ages of like eight and 15? I mean, that's like pretty bold. So he did that and uh, made some money. What was the business? It's really simple. He sells onions. He's a produce broker. So he buys a million dollars of onions from a farmer in California and sells it to McDonald's for $1.1 million and then finds a trucker to bring it and makes 50000 in profit. And how was money for you guys growing up? My household income growing up was probably sixty, seventy thousand dollars. Then eventually, they, when I got into high school, they probably made three or hundred thousand dollars a year. So three hundred? Yeah, like when we were not when I was in high school. Selling onions? Agriculture is the biggest industry in America. Really? I mean, think about it. Like literally, everyone in their in the America has a product in their home that's made out of a potato or an onion. America does like one thing like better than everyone else is grow corn. How did your dad get into produce? Because he had a fruit stand. How did he get into fruit stand? Because they didn't have any money and they just like that's the business that they could start the same reason i started a hot dog stand. i just had 500 dollars, and i didn't know what i could start so and i knew a guy that had a hot dog stand that let, let me rent it for 500 dollars. did you have to get a permit for that hot dog stand yeah it was all legit yeah i had i had licenses and i had spots and contracts yeah so let me get your opinion we're gonna do a video about millionaire starts a lemonade stand who me you are gonna start a lemonade stand? i don't know this they make me do these fucking videos and i like roll my eyes and i'm like okay let's do it like, how would you think about doing a successful lemonade stand? You sell at night to drunk people for very expensive prices. Go on. So my prices during the day were $4. My prices at night were $9. Same thing. And you go outside the bars. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So would you go outside like 6th Street? or you I don't go- know where people hang out here, but because I don't go to the bars, but like downtown? Yeah, where all like the people drink and all that stuff. Yeah, Just for sure. Like, for sure. How Would you do anything with your stand or with your lemonade? Or make so a- I had a shtick. And it was called Southern Sam's Wieners as big as a baby's arm. And if you put your baby's arm in a bun and mustard on it, let me take a picture and post it on social. I gave you a free like drink or something. And so that was a funny shtick. And I also had girls that would wear like cute tank tops work for me. And so I think if you had like a shtick like that, it could work really well. One, I like it. I like that you have an angle with it because like it doesn't even have to be good lemonade. It could be whatever lemonade. And those people are drunk. Yeah. They don't give a shit. Yeah. They don't care. The, I guess one idea we had is I didn't really have a lot of like concrete ideas. I thought maybe I'd go to Zilker Park. And then what would you do to try to make it popular at Zilker? It's a big park in our town. Put uh, CBD or THC in it. Yeah. But I, I think you can charge $8 for a massive, like, big gulp size. Yeah. At night when it's warm outside the bars. That's interesting. I like the bar one. I guess one, the way I was thinking about it, I would go to farmer's market and then just, like, experiment with a lot of different things. So, like, experiment with, like, buy one, get one free. Experiment with, like, having a kid there. Experiment with having a guy versus a girl there. A woman will always win. We've run so many ads with men and women. And women and men click on women more than men significantly. I only click on men. (laughs) (laughs) And and the woman has to look a very particular way. How's that? Like one time we had this woman that was like crazy beautiful and the click rate was low. One time we had this girl that was like girl next door and it did really well. All right. So for Lemonade Stand and Zilker, 
What would you Why do? Why Zilker? Just- I'm just trying different things. Like I get the bar one. I guess we just thought I would do it at a farmer's market. But you yeah. just think the most successful would do lemonade at night. Yeah. And then you could have the shittiest product and the highest price. Dude, I used to sell so much bottled water. Bottled water costs 14 cents from Costco and I would sell it for $2 and I would make $1,000 in a day. I might just like have a table. I'll just get a table that I have at home and then like buy some shit you from could, Costco. You could or you could get, you could just sell it out of a cooler like a Yeti. You just pull a Yeti along. Ooh. I got to get one of those bells. You could. Ring, ring. Yeah, that would work. Uh, what does Sid mean to you, your dog? I told you we were in the cover Wall Street Journal today, right? It was me and Sid, my dog. Was it first uh, person to marry a dog? What was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was on the front page. If you scroll down. Like, I'm looking. Uh, right below, below the fold on the bottom right. Your new couch should arrive this year. Meantime, it's lawn chairs or the floor. How did you get the Wall Street Journal with Sid? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So I, those pictures that you see, I posted on my Instagram. We bought the house a year ago. It took forever to get the furniture to come. And so remember we slept on, we like not slept, but we hung out on sleeping uh, bean bags. Yeah. Remember you came to my house for Christmas. Yeah. And we just had bean bags. And I posted about that. And this woman reached out to write a story on it. Isn't that great? Sam Parr is married to a dog named Sid. And they, <laughs> they live on a... And so that fucking dog... <laughs> wow, he gives Sarah photo credit. Yeah, that funny? She goes, who took that picture? I go, Sarah Parr. And so she put it in there. That damn dog has lived all over the country, driven all over the country, been on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, done all this stuff. He's lived a good life. So what does he mean to you? It feels like a kid. Uh, I've had him for 12 years. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, yeah, but he's kind of dying now. Um, like, he can't walk anymore. So you see the... Stroller. stroller i got for him yeah he, he's important to me it feels like a, a child a little bit man maybe it feels like 10 percent of a child what did you learn about yourself with sid it feels better to take care of someone like it feels good to give so i quit drinking because i was like one time i was like passed out and like he pissed on the floor and i'm like oh what the fuck i was still fucked up i couldn't even take him for a walk and so i was like i gotta get my shit together and like and one time i got arrested and i spent time in jail and he got left inside for like 48 hours and I felt devastated. I was so upset. I'm like, oh my God, that's the worst. It was just horrible. And so it, I just realized like the importance of taking care of someone. You tell the rest story? Huh? I think you've told me. I forget though. Well, when I was 21, I got a DUI and then I got in a fight two weeks later and I was on probation. And so I spent like three or four days in jail. How was that? In county jail. It's awful. So there's like jail that they take you that day, but I had to go and check back in. Like I had to like check into jail, like county jail. And county jail sucks because that's where you go before you get sentenced to prison. And so a lot of the people who are there, they're going to get out, but they're also transient. So it's like not their home. In prison, it's their home. So sometimes like you have a routine and you have a job and you respect your home a little bit more. In this place, it's transient. So it was not fun. And they separate people by races. And the blacks and whites, we hung out together. The Asians in another one, the Hispanics in another one. After that, I go, I'm, I'm never breaking the law again. What was so bad about it? Dude, it was a 180 person room and you're sleeping. It's called a boat. It's a, it's like a plastic tray that I was sleeping in. They turn the lights off at 8 p.m. They turn the lights on at 4. You eat a white bread and bologna sandwich with an Oreo and like disgusting fruit punch. It's just horrible. You just have no freedom. You don't go outside. It's horrible. It's fucking awful. It was awful. Oh, what's the food like? Shit. It's shit. Which is actually kind of like an interesting thing. Like, I was like, maybe if we fed these guys better and made them exercise, they would actually get in less trouble. But um, it's bad. Have you never been? Uh, Mexican jail. Not, <laughs> not American jail. I don't you, like... know, you know, like one in like five Americans have been arrested. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like a huge number. But that was like 11 years ago. You talked to any of the guys in there? Yeah. How are they? Everyone was respectful because they wanted to make friends with you because they knew that I was going to leave in three days. And when you go, you're allowed to bring three pairs of underwear, three socks, three undershirts. 
and they want to be cool with you because they know you're going to get out. So they're not going to mess with you. And they want your stuff when you leave. And so they befriend you and take care of you and give, show you respect. And they go, hey, man, can I get that underwear? Who'd you decide to give it to? Just some guy who I was sleeping next to. He go, I go, yeah, man, I got you. Because it's it was freezing. And so you used the socks as uh, gloves. <laughs> did you? Dude, did it was you, bad. It was not Were you funny. anyone's prison husband? or? Prison no, wife? I didn't see any of that there. I didn't shower. And I, I don't think I went to the bath. I don't think I went number two. I didn't go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, because there's no doors probably, right? No doors. Do they have toilet paper at all? Yeah, probably. But I didn't even look. I was just, I'm, I'm not going to go in that bathroom. So I just made sure I didn't eat much and I didn't drink much. <laughs> it was bad. It's not fun. It That's, changed my life. You got the tattoos? No, but I do have bad tattoos. Yeah. But no, I had nothing to do with that. But there were guys giving themselves tattoos. Dude, it sucks. A, a Tennessee county jail was, is not fun. No, it does. Any jail doesn't sound fun. My dad would always threaten it, though. When I told him, I'm not, he was mean to me. And I'm not calling the cops. And he's like, well, at least I'll get three meals a day. <laughs> he would just always like threaten it. Because I don't know. He was a weirdo. It changed me. Yeah. So you just became more like you stopped drinking. I was like, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I just quit drinking. And I'm like, I'm not going to break the rules. I, I don't want to be a criminal. I just not cool. If you had a thousand dollars today and you were living in Austin, what would you do to kind of to do stuff? Like if you were back, you know, you would you start the hustle again? Would you do conferences? Would you do Twitter? If you're thinking, you know, I need to make some fucking money. Dude, I think starting a blog and making money of it through ads at best, you kind of do what you did where you like spot like, oh, this deals thing is actually cool. But it was built through OK Dork, right? Kind of. Okay, like dork, leapfrogged. A little bit, not, not so much. I did all these different businesses and blogging and then eventually it was like, everyone wants customers. Software's really going to be really big. This Groupon thing is really cool. Or Mac heist. Let me put it all together. But do you think that the AppSumo would exist if it weren't for blogging? No. So that's kind of what I mean. And then another example is like Bulletproof Coffee. It started because Dave Asbury was like this big health influencer type of guy and he like saw like different stuff. So I think starting a blog is like one of the best ways to do it. And at worst, you make money how I made money, which is just through ads, which isn't very fun, but that's like it, it worked. So I would start a blog. Like if you wouldn't do business, would you do business again like the hustle or is there like maybe fitness and boxing or cold? No, um, personal finance. I think I would crush personal finance. How so? I just think I could write good stuff. You know, like NerdWallet crushes, but then you've got the points guy who had like an interesting niche and like a silly name and that like stood out. And I think that so I, I could do something like that. I think I could do a personal finance angle. Financial Samurai. Oh, I love him. I love him. I think personal finance could crush. The first thing I thought of when you said that is that anyone can go to the Austin library for free and use the computers. So you don't need a phone. You don't need a lot of money. You didn't even write about personal finance while being a homeless. Dude, and you could create a course just by reading a book. I mean, that's what the copywriting course is. It's like you read a copywriting book and there was one chapter on Ada and you do a course on it. Yeah. I mean, he took old things and then spiced it with his own ways. I mean, that's a lot, almost, almost everything. Yeah. So yeah, you could crush it. Remember last year when the freeze hit and everyone's cactus died? Yeah. I think you could have made a killing just knocking on doors and be like, hey, you want me to chop all these down? Oh, like take your plants out? Yeah, because I had all those like fancy, what are those cactuses that we have that everyone has here? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, they're like aloe looking plants. Yeah. They're like there's these huge cactuses. They're so expensive. They're like $500 a plant. Or you could have gone in beforehand and been like, hey, can I cover your cactus for you? I'll pay, you know, 100 bucks. You could have done that last night. Yeah. I always thought that would have been cool. Well, for like the personal finance blog, even unless you're homeless, like go extreme. Like how would you have gotten an audience? Like how would you get even anyone to read it? Well, I would just pick whichever platform is is doing like as easy as to get viral on. And I would start there. Right now it's TikTok. So I think I could start. Did you see this lady, Miss Excel? Dude, there's this woman. She's like a nice, like pretty smart young lady, like 24, 25 years old. She's making $10 million a year because she got famous doing Excel lessons 
on TikTok and now has a course on how to do Excel and Microsoft sponsors her. Is that crazy? You see her? Yeah, that's interesting. How many followers does she have? 735,000. Is that crazy? And check her videos. They're hilarious. They're awesome. Miss Excel is the best. I love Miss Have you interviewed her? No, but I would like to. Why TikTok? And what do you think you've noticed to make TikTok work? We made it work indirectly. So on the podcast, we did this thing where we did for five grand, we gave five grand away to like one or two or three people. And we said, go to YouTube, take our clips, remix them, put them on a social media platform and use our hashtag. And we're going to pick the few that we like. And we'll give you five grand. Our hashtag reached 30 million people in a week or two weeks. So is there any way to make that happen? How do we recreate it? The kids that did it, like, for example, go to MFM Cuts. Do you see MFM Cuts? I'm pulling it up. Do they have like 15,000 followers? 30,000 followers. Dude, this guy just is it's a 19-year-old kid at University of Michigan. He just made this in two weeks. He got that. Look at the top video. Like, look, all the videos have like, some have thousands, a couple have millions. Have you tried to hire this guy? Yeah, we did. We did. Oh, I was going to say, I'll try to hire him. Is he full-time with you guys? No, you could work with him. Yeah, I'd love to work. Isn't that amazing? And so this kid did this. He started from scratch. I have no idea how he did it. So many impressive people out there. How many views do some of those videos? Or how many? I mean, half a million, 275,000. Is that crazy? 1.8 million. Is that crazy? He just made it like, you could look at the first video. It was made in late December. That's impressive. It's in- super impressive. And he's not the only one. If you Google MFM shorts, or sorry, if you look at it up on TikTok, there's another account. Have you guys been able to transfer that audience into anything else? So the problem with podcasting is I don't know. Like, I don't know where they're coming from. But like, yeah, people, more people are listening than ever. Oh, and yeah, Fatfire, you know Fatfire? Yeah. They made an announcement. MFM Cuts, his biggest video is me talking about the subreddit Fatfire, which you told me about. And we drove 30,000 new subscribers to Fatfire from that video. And they made an announcement saying, we're so sorry that the mods are not approving stuff on time. Because of this one video, we've had 30,000 new subscribers today. How much you pay this guy? We gave him five grand. To make videos? Yeah. Per month? Well, I don't know what our monthly contract is now, but we gave him, he hustled to get the job and I think we're paying him five grand a month. I don't remember, but we gave him a five grand prize. Sick, right? His name is Michael. That's also how we hire a lot of people in general. It's like, if you want a job or you want to make money or do anything, go do it for free for anyone that you admire. If you do a good job of it, you can work for them. And then likely like Claire, the masseuse person, just like that, you refer him out. Dude, he sent me his, I go, what's your email? I'm going to talk to you. It was like Michael at University of Michigan. That's crazy. And I, like he's in his dorm. Dude, by the way. The YouTube interview we did on My First Million, which everyone should go check out and subscribe, and we'll call it on the beginning of the show. The video you guys put out did pretty well. 10,000 views right away. I think it's 6,000. 6,300. The one Rob Walling did 10,000 then. Rob was big. All right. But uh, look at the comments. Good comments. Oh, really? I'll go check it People out. People dig it. And then, but here's the thing. That video only got 6,000 or 7,000 on YouTube. It probably will get 70,000 on our podcast. What's something you're excited about this year? What's one thing like that you haven't talked about yet or you're looking forward to? Getting shredded. I'm in really good shape right now, but I want to like lose weight and just get low body fat one time. And I want to try and be completely injury free. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm excited about. I would go deeper in how you're going to get there. But that is very easy. You just eat less and you just be hungry all the time. But did you say that's like your mantra? No, I'm okay with I'm like a lion, man. You got to like chill. And but then when you get after it, you got to sprint. Is that your mantra? Yeah. I mean, I'm okay living like that. I like the mantra. Well, that is a wrap. Sam has forced me to tell you to go subscribe to his show, My First Million. Definitely go do it. It's really, really strong. Check out the Rob Dyerdick episode. That was impressive. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go eat some hot dogs together. If you guys listen to the episode, you know what I mean. Before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan or hit me up on Instagram at Noah Kagan. Let me know what that of the show. I love hearing your feedback. Also, I want to let you know about my producer, Jeremy's podcast, Backstage Careers. 
if you don't like being on camera or if you don't want to be on audio, but you want to be behind the scenes, there's a lot of people out there that are doing it. He has interviewed the people that are behind the scenes for Naval, Gary Vee, Tom Bilyeu, Jesse Isler. You get the idea. Check it out. Backstage Careers. Finally, a couple shout-outs to my amazing team. Thank you to Jason at PodcastTech.com for turning these episodes from coal into diamonds, VVS1. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Hubert, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen, the Dirt team. I love y'all. Finally, shout-out to Luke, Katie, and Chris at AppSumo.com for running the AppSumo Plus program. If you're an AppSumo customer, make sure you guys sign up for that. It's done really well, and we love having you a part of the community. Have a really awesome day. What's your favorite condiment? Uh-huh.